Podcasting Network, home of the Dresden Files Podcast, 42 Entertainment, and many others. More podcasts like this one can be found at brokenjars.xyz. Hello everyone, this is episode 4 of High Fantasy, and as always, I'm joined by Jacob and Colin. How are you guys? We're here, at least I'm oh. here. I'm functional-ish. Yeah. <laughs> Showing up's like 95% of the work, I swear. Uh, so, so how productive have you guys been in the past three weeks? We should have been writing a bunch, right? <laughs> Somebody? Well, I did 28 pages in the first week in nothing since. <laughs> Like work has just been crazy, and I haven't had. I've been working through almost every lunch and everything else. So I just haven't had time. But like I, w- I was going hard. I was like, "All right, I'm going to show these people up on the next podcast." And then I just kind of dwindled. Yeah, I, uh, I've been hitting a certain wall about military expertise in my story, and I tried to bang my head against it again and try to rewrite a, a scene that was really bad. I wrote about 300 words, and. The, the my lack of military understanding is just beating my ass, so I'm trying to start a new story. <laughs> so, <laughs> running away, burying my head. Sometimes you just gotta and keep going and come back. I'm between three stories. Yeah, it's just, but, but it's really important that I get that accurate enough that I can, you know, work with it later. And that's the problem. It's really important, and I know nothing about it. Uh, Colin, how have you been doing? I usually aim for about 500 words a day. And I would say I've done that about half the days since our last one. You sound good. like the most productive person here, so therefore, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> I mean, that might add up to like 3,000 words. Yeah. Maybe yeah, a little that's, more. That's, okay. But today we're talking about characters and, and good ones and bad ones and, and all sorts of things. So to start off with, what do you guys think makes a good character in general? I like reading about them. It's a good character if you like reading about them, and that's that's your litmus test. That's it. Well, no. I think I, I think a good character, you know, you you want to learn more about them. You know, that's that's what good characters do. It also kind of depends on the story, you know, because some sometimes good characters can be really two dimensional if they're in the story correctly. So. But if you want to just talk about like amazing characters, you know, you have depth and intrigue and you know all those normal checkbox things. Yeah, I mean, how much of it do you think has to depend on the character being a good person, being likable, like you want to be friends with them? How much of that matters to you for being a good character? I mean, it doesn't hurt. Uh, I mean, there's definitely that "Hey, I want to go have a beer with this guy" kind of feeling, like like in the Dresden Files, like. I would I would love to go have a beer with you know Dresden. That'd be amazing. But I mean, you can hate characters and they they still be really really good characters. Yeah, that, that's probably true for most of the Game of Thrones characters. Yeah, um, probably. <laughs> but I guess it's a good thing. Like it's with Dresden particularly. Like reading changes hurts in the best way possible because it's hurting my friend basically. And it, which is, is a weird, stupid, masochistic thing to really say, but that's kind of how I feel about changes. Right. Well, and the thing with, like, especially those type of characters, you know, Dresden, he's been around for, what, 16 books now or however many. That's 45,000 pages worth of hanging out with this dude. 
Yeah, some some characters are great because you, you know, they're good in the story and they work really well. But some characters are great because they're built well over time. So that that's something you kind of have to like uh, think about when writing. At least I do. Like I try not to, I try not to shove so much in there about the character all at once, just because, like, hey, if this goes well, maybe I'll write another fourteen or fifteen books. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, with changes, obviously we're twelve, I think, or so books into the Dresden Files. Yes, yeah, book book twelve. And you love Harry Dresden at this point, but what yeah. about Harry Dresden was? caught you in the first couple books i think the first thing that really caught me about dresden was his humor like he said some sarcastic thing and it made me laugh like okay i gotta keep reading this because maybe it's just funny and then it started getting more complex and more painful and i think i've changed since then because i started reading when i was fucking 15 that um i'm much more into horror and pain lately just a little concerning. <laughs> I told you. I've told you this in this she, podcast before, but you're the kind of woman who would just stab somebody for the fun of it. I would not I wouldn't actually stab someone. I would read about someone else stabbing someone for the fun of it. I'm telling you, we're gonna hear a story out of, you know, so and so out of this place in Colorado just stabbed <laughs> stabbed a random <laughs> child just for the fun of it. Oh my god. Well, I mean, yeah. But then there's like the characters that you hate that are still interesting, which I, I, in my opinion, applies to Cersei of Game of Thrones. It's like, I kind of like to hate her because she does gross things, but she still makes it interesting in some way. Well, Especially the first book chapter that had it in her point of view. You just realize how deep her paranoia actually is. Yeah, she was she's, so broken. In that one chapter, I realized, like, God damn, she's fucking crazy. And... <laughs> Well, so much fair, making up a good part. character is good motivations, right? Like Dresden, you know, Harry Dresden in particular, his motivation is all, almost a lot of times, well, it's survive and do the right thing. Those are his two major motivations. And so th- good motivations can make for interesting characters where you might have an interesting idea of a character, but if, if, if their motivations are bad, you're not going to care. If, if the it, motivations are un not understandable or if the motivations are immoral what do you mean by bad oh understandable or just like weird or stupid or silly or whatever it's not like i'm not saying immoral because you know all villains are immoral and especially if you look at dc comics man the villains are so much more interesting than the uh than the heroes are which is the reverse of the marvel universe but still there's a lot of villains that are their motivations are really incredible, so you, you kind of follow them. Or they're simple, but they do it so well. Like, do y'all watch Sherlock, the BBC? Yeah, I've watched Sherlock. Like, Moriarty, his motivation is simple. He just wants to fuck shit up. But he's so into it, it works, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we get more Sherlock, what, next year or something? Two years yeah, from now? Yeah, they just Five, released God a trailer. I don't understand British television scheduling production. Well, normally I don't know, but I, it, whatever. Normally it's not this weird, but they kind of became big deals because they were basically nothing when Sherlock started, and all of a sudden they were everywhere. Yeah, and also each episode is an hour and a half long, which I I love that format. Even if I have to wait a really long time, I love that they can do a full story in one installment. And it's still a continuing thing, and they they did it really well, actually. 
yeah, it's one reason I have a hard time watching Doctor Who because he writes for both Doctor Who and Sherlock, and Doctor Who's mm. writing is straight shit. I love everything about Doctor Who except Doctor Who itself, and I cannot <laughs> like, like I love the iconography. I love every like it's really cool. I even, but the writing is so terrible. <laughs> it, it hurts me too much, and I, and I can withstand some really shitty writing, but I just can't do it with Doctor Who. I don't know why. Oh, but you can't do the the Dresden TV show. That's that's too oh. far out there. Oh, that hurts. Oh, it, I mean, well, you should. Um, I made it. I just don't minutes. think that it's connected to the books. And like, I've read about that's it. one thing that they did in that show is that they did the characters fairly well. Murphy is not Murphy, but she's not bad on her own. And uh, the guy who did Dresden, he he did fairly well with the character, and he's still the kind of same sarcastic thing. Bob is fairly similar, other than the fact that he has a body. Yeah, Bob a person. Yeah, that was. Yeah, yeah as soon as I know, saw that, I was like, and eh, no. <laughs> well, it it kind of works okay for you know a TV show versus like Bob. You get to see like his face, like oh really? And Morgan is still an asshole. <laughs> so I mean, it kind of works. Just don't think of it as being the same universe. <laughs> the characters are pretty good. The the Plotting is shitty as hell, though. Um, <laughs> characters your... podcast. Yes, yes. characters. Podcast. Uh, if they're good at something, you like watching them do it. I love watching people who are really good at their jobs do it because they make it look really simple. And it's kind of like Moriarty is, he's simple in what he wants to do, but he's really, really good at getting it done. So we like watching that. Proficiency at something is really important for a character. Like, you don't want to watch someone do the tri-fail cycle to the point that, like, okay, he's just a moron. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> do you ever run into the issue of trying to make everyone really good? So, you know, it, it's some, they, people bring it up, especially in Dresden, and I know listeners have been talking about it a lot, but just chill. Uh, you know, every woman is gorgeous, right, in, in the Dresden Files. So, so, like, do you ever, like, catch yourself doing that sort of thing and try to, like, go the other direction and realize maybe you're making a bad character now because you're trying to like dumb them down or something. Uh, that in Dresden is the fact that it's everything we see in Dresden is completely tainted by the fact that we're seeing it from Harry Dresden's point of view. Yeah. True. Every but woman is beautiful every woman because is he beautiful. loves every woman. Yeah. Uh, listen to what, I mean, okay. Kind of very, very off topic, but I got to interview Jim Butcher and that was awesome. And I got to ask him if he identifies as a boot man or an ass man. And he just said yes. <laughs> because when you think, he said, when you think of something beautiful, you go to women because women are the most beautiful thing in the world. And that's what he said. And that's Harry Dresden. So. Right. But still, it's it, still that, uh, that idea of everyone is amazing, right? So how do you well, like create? Or do you, do for you... the Dresden files, it's an interesting flaw of Harry that he doesn't see physical flaws in women. <laughs> which sounds funny to say it that way, but uh, when when writing and thinking like, okay, every character is going to be beautiful and sometimes maybe you need to stop it because uh, other things. I notice myself that I make bad characters, like evil ones, ugly, and I make the good ones beautiful and it's like a shit. I need to, to stop being so obvious about it. <laughs> Tell us at Disney. Yeah. Yeah, it has, Disney is aimed uh, at seven-year-olds. Come on, it's a little different. <laughs> they need the physical. Yeah. one of the uh, the stories I was writing, I had this minor guy who's just an antagonist. He's just someone to hate. He wasn't actually the big bad guy, but he was he was fat and slobbering, and he just like you know everything <laughs> that you dislike physically about a person, and that was him. <laughs> that was it. 
It's terrible. Probably my one, especially when it comes to like women. One of my biggest flaws is they just all start start out as redheads, and then I have to go back and change them all. <laughs> Actually, that's yeah. an interesting point about what a character looks like. Like most of my main characters are women because it's kind of more familiar for me. A lot of it, if I'm also thinking of a story and it starts out in my point of view, and then I shift it to a different character, it's probably still going to be a woman. But I always get kind of concerned that I don't want it to look exactly like me. So, okay, a big, strong visual thing about me is I have long, dark hair. What if I change the character to blonde instead? I have a lot of blonde main characters. <laughs> <laughs> it's, what if, from what I, our short conversation for, what I'm starting to understand, it's really, really easy to make really terrible characters. <laughs> yes. So, how do you make good ones? Um, make them good at something, but don't make them overpowerful, because then that's boring as well. They need to struggle. Right. Everybody so, loves an underdog. So when you're making a character, do you kind of think of it as, okay, they have this pro, so I'm going to give them this con? Or do you start sort of start up, I want this person to be X, and then start building in the uh, those ideas from there? Hmm. It's kind of reminding me of one of Sanderson's laws, is that the limitations are more important than the abilities. So the more flaws and trouble that a character has... It's more interesting if you give them a way to get out of it. Like, character can't do magic ability, but he can do a kind of the similar approximate by being smart. Then, you know, that's interesting. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, usually successful characters find ways to make up for flaws. Otherwise, they wouldn't succeed. Yeah. What, what is interesting, though, is like if you make a character who is very proficient and therefore interesting while also being, like, you wouldn't want to be friends with them, kind of insufferable. That's what I felt like with Kelsier in Mistborn. It's like, I fucking hated the dude, but he was interesting. It just... Eh. Right. Sometimes you have to get that nice balance of, you know, someone is really smart, but they're not overly bright, if that makes any sense. Mm. So. That's Harry Dresden. <laughs> Or they're very capable, except they have this tendency to go on homicidal massacres of people they don't like. <laughs> right. Kelsey, some issues. Yeah. Okay, so this is, is a little off topic, but mainly on how do you start to build the way they talk? Like, because each character needs to have this unique voice. How do you start going into the the building of their 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 language and their dialect and? Uh. Well, it depends. I start with genre. If it's fantasy, then I have to do a lot more work. <laughs> because, like, they don't say the same words that we do. A fantasy person would probably not be talking about Jesus Christ when they're pissed off. So I need to come up with other things. <laughs> well, you never, it depends on where you put the fantasy story, but I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, urban fantasy, you get to do all sorts of things, but, um, yeah, uh I do have a character in my military story that I have set from Boston, and she has a Boston accent, and Colin's just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> Count on the num- on my, like one hand the number of times I've actually heard a Boston accent. You have a, a slight Boston accent. Very slight. You just don't notice it. I know. Yeah. But I'm, I might not do that joke that pissed you off so much. I had a joke 
I was going to do that depended on her having a Boston accent, and he said he'd be happy if she died in a fire. So I was like, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't remember this joke, but I remember the hatred. <laughs> <laughs> they might be a good character for getting someone to hate her so bad they want them to die in a fire. You might be on the right track yeah, there, Alex. That is true. Is this a villain? No, no, she's a good guy. Uh, yeah. Um, you always have to like figure out the character's background before you're figuring out how they talk because, like, people reference things that they see growing up. Like everybody in their 40s is going to reference different cartoons that they watch as kids than people who are 10 right now. Right. Okay. Oh, hey, <laughs> I never watched that. Oh. Hey Arnold, Doug. Oh, so good. Uh, so, so good. But one thing, because I was thinking about something in particular, is um, in the story I'm writing right now, I, I made the decision that one of the characters would never use a contraction. And that actually really changes, like, how they talk and it helps to inform their actually their upbringing. Because if they're taught that, you know, this isn't proper proper speaking they're going to be a bit more formal da, 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 da. or maybe they were trained a certain way at a certain time which is what this per what happened to this woman in this one so so those are also fun things you can do is just say i'm just going to give you one limitation on how you talk or one specific thing about how you talk and just see what happens they did that on uh ncis ziva never used mm. contractions and because she learned english as a second language she never got used to the contractional use that we're so typically fond of. Hmm. Interesting. I never really noticed that. Which goes to show that it could be a character depth thing that people just completely don't care. <laughs> I actually recently saw a thing on the writing subreddit. I don't remember who or anything, but they said that they had a character in a space story. One character out of every other character was actually from Earth. So they said things that, like, uh, what the hell, we're on Earth, Jesus Christ, shit like that that no one else did. And he asked the beta readers, uh, did you notice anything about where this character is from? They said, no, I have no idea. It's like that one character is the only one that ever referenced Earth and none of the beta readers caught it. Which, you know, it just some points it doesn't matter. <laughs> right, but sometimes even if they don't notice it, it gives texture. that They might not mm -hmm. be able to point out to say that this person doesn't ever do this, but they... If, they can give. They can feel that they don't. That they don't. That they talk differently. Yeah, and then there's people who kind of like what Justin on the Justin podcast says are Justin scholars. They will find every single mention of a certain character and tear apart how they speak, trying to get hints of something future. Oh God, that's just when you have too many too much time between books. Yeah. <laughs> well, and way too many people reading those books on the, now that we have the internet and Reddit, and people can share this shit. And yeah. it's all digitized now, especially with, like, Kindle and stuff. You know, you can just bounce around and... Yeah, like, Control-F this word, and it's like, I found it. Oh, God. But, What's the stupid... The bot on A Song of Ice and Fire that will literally scan the books for any word you mention and tell you every single reference to the word? Wait, there's a bot that does that? That's yeah, amazing. Like, Song of Ice and Fire search bot or something. Okay, yeah. All right, we're getting off topic. Let's go back to characters. It? But before we get all the way back on topic, there is a cool thing on Google somewhere where it'll show you the amount of mentions of a word in literature through time. Yeah. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, uh, 
How, and as a general question, how do you add depth to a character? Like, what, I mean, if you're making a character, it's different than if you're watching a character in a, a, a movie or reading a book or something, but how do you give it as a writer? Usually I try to make them want things that are outside of the main plot line so that if I need to, I can throw those in to pull them away from what they should be doing for the story's sake or just give them something to care about in the process of trying to be the protagonist or antagonist. Hmm. Yes, uh, I, I would say that hobbies are a nice addition to a character. Just something small to give them a little depth. It really depends on what I'm doing. Because sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm just going to put this person here because I need a person here. And then I'll start doing stuff with them later. But other times it's, okay, well, this person is going to be, have, he's going to be from this place, do this thing, you know, da, 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 and then kind of use that as motivation going forward. And then a lot of times as I'm going forward, I'll need something to happen in the past. So I'll go back and rewrite it and add it in there and then come back and go. So that happens a lot. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a bad, I'm bad at like r really planning I have like a small idea, and I just like, all right, well, let's see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> let's go. For the, the fact that the three books I've finished have been planned in outline form, point by point, and everything else I've gotten a quarter of the way into installed, I should probably plan more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for me, giving characters depth, I think what I try to do is I figure out um, what basically their motivations are in general. And then I did this thing, like, what do they think their motivations are, and what are they actually? Like, your character lying to themselves about what they want and why they're doing something. Like, uh, if you feel guilty about something that you did several years ago, and you're just, like, on the surface, you think that you're trying to make up for it, but in actuality, you really just want to get that gold or something. And then, like, the discomfort of cognitive dissonance, it can be really fun, because I get to torture people. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the opposite of that is that they convince themselves that they're not something. So they convince themselves, I'm going to just go and do this because I want to get paid. When instead there's something in their past that's haunting them. Right. Yeah, it's, um, a lot of times, like uh, the first example I can think of right now is in Berserk. The main character says, I don't care about anyone else. I just want to do my one goal. I don't care what happens to anyone else, any of the problems I'm causing. But he does, and it hurts him. And he just refuses to admit it for a while, which is kind of like you see the obvious character arc as well, and you get to experience it. Um, that's fun. Everyone should read Berserk, by the way. <laughs> it's horror. It's terrible, but it's wonderful. One day, maybe. <laughs> Do you read Happy Things ever? Uh, does to count? Dresden, yeah, I guess, at, at times. At times. Uh, Cinder Spires was kind of happy, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> um, how do you make characters proactive? I mean, part of that is story structure, but how how do you try to do that in making characters be the active one instead of the passive one and, and letting the story happen to them? That depends on how you want things to go because they need to be proactive, but there's also times where being passive is fine too, where external events that you don't see happening or coming as the reader all of a sudden affect your character, then they have to deal with that. That's a, I kind of like that dynamic sometimes where they don't see it coming. 
uh, and then have to react to it, then be proactive from the passive. That's a that's something I, I like to do. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to do it sometimes, but I um I watched a movie recently called The Bone Collector. It came out in the 90s. It was actually really good. And Denzel Washington is playing a guy that it was paralyzed. So all he has is a little bit of his shoulders and his neck and his left index finger. That's all he can move. But he's still very proactive in both, like mostly in what he's doing and talking to people and directing them to do. But at the end, he's actually getting attacked by a bad guy. And he still manages to attack the bad guy from his paralyzed position. And that was an amazing feat of proactivity for that character. Nice. Which also, like, the, the limitations and what you can do as well makes you interesting. Um, so, so now let's get into bad characters. Okay. What <laughs> makes bad characters but not villains? Just, like, really shittily put-together characters. I have motivations, again. If the motivations are bad, you know, or... You can you can motivate a character with anything. It's just how you how you do it. You know, if it's just a blind sort of motivation, then that's just that can be pretty boring, I think. But then it, but then again, you know, you just have the MacGuffin hunt, and that's been the catalyst for thousands and thousands and thousands of books throughout history that have been great. So. I don't know. I'm trying to think of like truly bad characters who are just not worth the, the effort. Can we cut out Ramsey Bolton from the show and put him on a shrine of bad characters? He was good until plot armor became too much. So that's the thing. Like it was unbelievable how he managed to succeed for a little while. That and plot armor. incessant need to show him being brutal and violent over and yeah, over. Yeah, there's a, a Thing. Like, this guy's bad. Okay, he kills puppies. I get it. Stop it. <laughs> he kills girls. <laughs> then he kills children. Oh, I get it. He starves his dogs too. Okay. Yeah, he, you you convinced me like four episodes ago. Stop it already. <laughs> or to go off the show again because it's been pissing me off so much. Um, characters whose motivations are so far at odds of what you would expect. For mm. instance, murdering your nephew and lover's brother in vengeance for your, his death. Yeah. yeah, that's probably a good, good point about the motivations is you gotta... It has to fit the personality. Or at least... I mean, anything can be a motivation, but their reasoning for wanting it has to fit their personality. Yeah. Sort of. Um, actually, I can think of an example that fit the personality, and I still hated it. Was uh, If you watched Homeland, because uh, the main character in it, the girl, she basically, as they revealed to the show, she has bipolar disorder. And when you have bipolar disorder, you act very irrationally. And I'm going to spoil a bunch of things from the first or second season, and then I stopped watching, was uh, she believes that one of the guys is a terrorist. So she's tracking him down, doing things outside of what she's officially able to do, because she just truly believes he's a terrorist. And it turns out she's right. But in the middle of her uh, investigating him, she starts sleeping with him and falls in love with him, even though she believes he's a bad guy. So she's both brokenhearted and like upset with him because he's a bad guy, when she already knew that in the first place. I just couldn't deal with it anymore. <laughs> Excuse me. I think that's what killed me in the end of 
uh, Mockingjay is like I get why she would want to kill Coin. Spoilers mm. for like a five-year-old book, <laughs> but at the same time, the motivation just didn't seem like it'd be enough in that scenario to do that. See, if I was going to go, if I was going to argue that, I would say that she had already snapped and she didn't need any more motivation. She was already, she was already, you know, off off the pier, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, but the thing is, with the Homeland Girl, that is how bipolar people act. They're they're very rational. They and can be. You're going to get the, the. It's like, I applaud the show for having a fairly accurate representation of what the mental illness is like. They showed her going into a manic episode and how under, disunderstandable she was and various things like that. And it was very good. I just couldn't stand her as being a main character because. <laughs> Of the mental illness, it's just like they did it right. I still don't like it. I mean, people usually have trouble dealing with people with bipolar, so yeah, yeah. it was they did it right. I just I can't I can't deal with her being the main character. But, there's various things when inconsistency gets to be a problem. Like if you give a character like a, a principle that they hold very dearly, like I'm always going to do the right thing. Oh, then I didn't. Oh, whatever, it's fine. Like if you're doing it, giving a character a flaw like cognitive dissonance, which is great, it's fine. But if you're still trying to present them as a good guy, then the narrative is not matching up with what it should be, and it becomes bad. A perfect example of this, I think, is Richard Rawl from the Sword of Truth series, which I don't suggest anyone read ever. <laughs> I always hear you can get into it, and then it just goes downhill. Yeah, the first book is it's not bad. It's not greatest, but it's not terrible. And then it, it just, holy shit, no. <laughs> <laughs> Who else is inconsistent character? Uh, well, I think you have a problem with that sometimes. Oh, absolutely. Mainly yeah. because my books change goals like ten times in the course of writing a scene. Yeah, with you, remember, like your main character is like, "I'm gonna go do this," and the next season he doesn't do that, and then he's just like, "I'm gonna go do this." He always ends at the like, "I'm gonna do something," and then he doesn't, and it felt really inconsistent. It's like, God, stop it. Well, that's that's Pam from The Office. Like she is hardcore. Like yeah, no, yeah, no. And you all met people like that. At least I have. You know, you were like, they, yeah, were, they talk it, it up, talk a big game. And all of a sudden, no. It's a, a perfectly realistic character trait that I also just hate. <laughs> so. Not every realistic character trait makes for good. <laughs> yes, goals. there's a difference between realistic and believable and likable or enjoyable. It's a, there's a lot of things going on in that Venn diagram. I need to actually draw it at one point. <laughs> Would, uh, what's his name? Quoth? Quoth. Quoth. Count uh, consistent sometimes? Depending on what you mean, maybe. I mean, maybe kind of. In... Everything to do with Denna annoys me. Oh, God, I hate Denna. But, I mean, it's certain, it's, a little inconsistent in like there's the the story that the main story that we get keep getting told that is in a different time slot as him telling the story since he's doing it verbally and like the the, the differences between them are very telling and interesting and we want to know how he got from one point to the next point and people mostly just d describe him as being a Mary Sue or Marty Stew if you want to genderize it but I mean to some extent, but I also say there's some dissonance in what the uh, flash forwards or yeah. present present day 
establishes as what we're going to read about and then what mm-hmm. actually like we're getting these flashbacks of this great hero but we're two books through it and he's really not a great hero yet yeah it's like at he has what, to be responsible for a war at some point it's like how the fuck did you do that at what point we were still confused be, yeah who he's supposed to be yeah and and that's a a good like giant intrigue that Rothfuss has done um did you know that he has a Twitter bot that is titled, Is Book 3 Out Yet? And it only does the word no every now and then. That's it. Uh, um, and then there's also, like, is he a, an unreliable narrator? Or is Kvass just that much of an asshole? And Mary Stu is like, as soon as he starts having sex, every single girl ever wants to have sex with him, too. And he's annoying that way or is he just like telling it up because he can he can he's immortalizing himself the way he wants to be and is it unlikable is it inconsistent is it people have such great arguments about it in forums it's wonderful yeah he's definitely a polarizing figure yeah (laughs) writes very well but his characters Mm -hmm. are hit or miss I need to read uh, what's the second one uh, I don't. Uh, Wise Man's Fear. Wise Man's Fear again. It's been too yeah. Um. Yeah. How many? Like, what's the prime example other than Kvass that you think of a Mary Sue or Marty Stew? I mean, because the the trope itself is called like I think from something in originating in the fifties based on the name. It's like this type of character who can do no wrong. Nothing they do is ever the wrong decision. Um, the most things it gets presented that way sometimes because other people are haters, and they're they're always vindicated. They've never done the wrong thing. They always succeed at the end. Things like that. That's I mean, one thing though about Voth. I don't think he will succeed at the end, obviously. So. And I think I mentioned Kelsey here before in the D and D topic. He's from the point of view of. Vin for the first half of the first book is a Murray Stew. Yeah. And Sanderson uses that to great effect when he takes that and cuts it out. Yeah. Except he still was responsible for everything, so he still took He still did exactly. uh, Everything went the way he wanted. Yeah, he's just dead now, so I don't have to deal with him. Yay! (laughs) Um, Yeah. Jacob, do you have a, a Marty Stew, Mary Sue? Um, not off the top of my head. I've been trying to think about it since y'all been talking, but I, not off the top of my head. Well, Trope's um, always gave us a good list of things. They do. Uh, don't get stuck down there. Why is um, there nothing on for Mary Sue? Uh, Richard Rawl from Sword of Truth series again. It's like, God, don't read those series. It was bad. The first book and then stop, all right? Seriously, stop. And then, because like, it really pissed me off. See, he did something that objectively is really, really stupid on international politic level, so it should like have giant ramifications. But no, it doesn't. He made the perfect choice because the author forced it to be the good choice, and I just... No. I hated it. Um, other than that is Honor Harrington, I think, would count as a Mary Sue. Even though she's fun, she's interesting, uh, it, I love reading about her in the books. She never once makes the bad decision. She always gets vindicated later. But yeah. they're still fun. Like, whatever. <laughs> I, guess, I guess that's the thing I, I like. Uh, I keep ca- catching in this conversation is we're all like, well, this is bad, this is bad, this is that bad. But if you do it right, it's actually pretty good. So yeah, I mean. 
Nothing it's not always stone, a bad right? thing. Um, Kushiel's Dart was a good book to read. It that was very long, but um, the main character is pretty fun. And then I saw in a forum post afterward that the main complaint was that the main character was a Mary Sue. It was like, oh, uh, I don't. Oh, oh, fuck, she was, shit. But I didn't notice it at the time because it was that well done. It's t it can totally work. Mm. I'm probably gonna speak a turn here, but like Dagny Tagger from I uh, Alice Shrugged is a bit of a, a Mary Sue. Oh yeah, I have no doubt. <laughs> I think anything Ayn Rand is gonna have. Isn't that it just wish fulfillment of her dream? Pretty much, basically. Pretty much. Pretty much. Pretty much. It's still a great yeah. book. I mean, but is it? I don't oh yeah, I never read it. It's, it's also you could also double as a home defense weapon because it's that big. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's thousand twelve hundred pages depending on the printing. It's pretty pretty stiff. My brother put it on his shelf next to Noam Chomsky. Nice. <laughs> he tells me they fight. <laughs> um, so like, another thing that is uh, you should look out for that makes a bad character is if you give them flaws to give them complexity, but the flaws don't make sense. Like uh, you give someone an anger problem, but when they lash out angrily, it doesn't make sense that there wasn't like a trigger for that to make sense. Uh, like if I stub my toe and then I beat my dog, I'm a terrible person and that should be presented that way. <laughs> But at least it makes sense that there was something that caused it to be angry. I read someone else just arguing about someone else's character that they had the anger problem and they're trying to make that be uh, an antagonist itself in the story, which is fine, except the character is just like everything is going swimmingly until they throw a tantrum and everything falls apart, which just did not feel right because there wasn't anything to cause it. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So... Uh you just brought up something I wanted to ask about is, so how do y'all do non, how do you do inanimate object characters? Or do you even Excuse try? Me? Like, things that aren't, like, uh, like an object that ends up being basically a character in the book. Um, well, read Stephen Bruce, because there's a series like several, I think 17, supposed to be um, magical swords. And it turns out they have a personality at some point, but you don't get to see much of it. <laughs> it's very strange. Uh, and then I, the first thing you, I thought of was this book called Ta by Tanya Huff. I don't remember what it was called, but a girl basically takes over a magic item shop in Toronto, I think. And there's a monkey's paw that just rolls underneath the couch at one point and they're looking at it and it's like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not messing with that thing. But it's just kind of like taunting them by being an inanimate object and it moves every now and then. Well, it's like sort of like in Harry Potter, the wands are kind of like characters. You know, they're, they're, they, they have more than just a plot device to them. They, they have personality, they, they affect the characters in a large way. It's the big they say it's the reason why Voldemort didn't win because he wasn't using his own wand, et cetera, et cetera. So, or just like, uh, like in Firefly, Serenity is very much a character in the show, even though it does never talks or anything so like that. Both examples, they're more personifications of the characters. People. Question. Yeah. Hmm. Harry's wand is always his trusty, dependable wand. Ron's wand is 
inept like him. <laughs> Voldemort's wand is whatever he thinks will give him more power. I have to say, the, the second Harry Potter, when Ron's wand is always the fuck up, and then it becomes the perfect savior at the end, it's like, that was the best plotting ever, in terms of, like, it's going to be a deus ex unless you make it the problem throughout the entire book, and it worked. That was great. J.K. Rowling does that a lot, though, which is cool. Um, yeah, and, and inanimate characters are uh, difficult because they're inanimate. Pancakes are inanimate. Um, right, because that's what I'm trying to do something like that in, in Corlex right now, because like, he's got his gun, his name's Annie, and it, we're not, I'm not sure if it talks to him yet or not, but he surely, surely thinks it does <laughs> on occasion. <laughs> I mean, look at uh, Dario in the show. He's got daggers carved like naked women. Which is just who he is. And he cares very much about those naked women on his daggers. And all naked women. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What about Corlax's guns, does he Well it's uh well it's uh let's see, it's been passed down to the family for like seven hundred years, you know, from the old west, taking care of the whole bit. And it's just a part of who he is it's com he completely trusts it he doesn't really use blasters or you know laser weapons compared to other people because he just trusts this gun so much it's more of a it's more than just a i've used it so many times but it's more of a trusting a best friend kind of feeling and he talks to it and it may or may not talk back because uh, he's also alone and i'm also using it to kind of show that he does have some mental un un uh, mental instability issues going on so he does put more personifications into things so that's that's one thing I've, I've been working on and trying to do for a while does it talk back or does he think it talks back uh, he thinks it talks back <laughs> well he, he, he's never he's never he never really knows if he heard it say something or not like he's like did, did you just like he's like oh did you just say something is he just, like he doesn't know whether or not he actually heard something. He just thinks he might have heard something. Yeah, uh, I just realized the perfect example of this inanimate character is Wilson from Castaway, but oh, yeah. I didn't remember it because I saw the movie once when I was a kid, and never yeah, again. It's so good. You should go back and watch it. Maybe isn't it like four so, hours long or something? No. I don't know. It's like only like when two I've hours. These okay, are maybe. But I've, I've so heard fun. so many people. Yeah, but like the the loss of the the volleyball when it's floating away, people like cringe in real life when they're watching it. It's like that that's it, well done. So that's what you should study in order to get Corlex right. Because I'm assuming he's then going to lose his best friend Annie for a little bit. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> New question: How do you give characters like bad traits, unlikable, make them like antiheroes, but keep them as likable characters in general? Well, just because uh, one people enjoyable characters. Yeah, just because people have bad traits doesn't mean you don't enjoy being around them, you know. Yeah, but if you're trying to make them like seem like a bad guy, how do you do it? Have you either of you read the Broken Empire series? Which one's that? That's a negative uh, there, Ghost Rider. Mark Lawrence. He posted so that's... George Ancraft. No. 
the main character is one of the most despicable, vile people you'll ever meet. And there's very few times along the books that he does something you even respect. But at the same time, he's getting what he wants, succeeding at it, outthinking people, and getting vengeance on some people who definitely deserve it. But still along the way, he's doing things that you're just like, that's awful. You're a terrible human being. <laughs> but he's, his whole character is defined by his flaws. Right. And, yeah. so, and so often when we're reading stories in general, the bad guys are just the ones on the opposite side of the fence from the good guy. So that's so that that's generally how you can portray a bad guy is they want what they want to stop or hurt or change or whatever the good guy, but they can still be really interesting characters. They just are at odds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have a a despicable character as your main character, but you still want people to like them, one tip I've heard is make them like someone else that is a good person. Uh, the first example I thought of was Harry and Michael. Like, if you disagree or dislike Harry, you're still going to respect the fact that he loves Michael as a friend. And that's something that like, you'll admire in Harry is in a certain way. Like, at least that's what I've heard. <laughs> I've never that's actually tried to do that one myself. But Exactly what Mark Lowens does is he puts a... Jorg is a, basically a bandit, murderer, rapist, whatever. But he puts him next to a guy who has a set of morals and constantly has that guy judging him and George occasionally feeling bad that he's not living up to what the other guy wants him to be. Mm. So it's, it's sort of like a preacher book, Mal kind of relationship from Firefly. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm. Uh, Use someone else as the moral center. Don't, yeah. don't, don't make the main character the moral center. Make someone else the moral center of the story. Which, which is kind of the biggest problem I had with Kelsier in Mistborn was that he was killing people because they were on the wrong side. And he just, like, he didn't care any of the destruction he was causing but just because they're on the wrong side. Whatever. And I wanted someone to point out how hypocritical and evil that was. And the closest thing is that one character says, you know, you're, you're just doing bad things, right? It's like, no, they're on the wrong side. And they never pressed it. And it pissed me off so much that no one would frame it as despicable things. They're just going with it. Well, sometimes we just let ourselves be okay with despicable things because we like the despicable things. It, wasn't it the... Um, what's the shape-shifting guys? Gwanda or something? In Mistborn? Mm. Like, I think he's the one that kind of chides Kelsier on it. But uh, only one I can bring to mind was Marsh. Marsh was Marsh. saying, this is bad stuff. Marsh was his brother. Yeah. Yeah, and Marsh is, is uh, she's like, this is bad things. And then that was the furthest they ever got. And he just dis dismissed it and nothing changed. So, um, yeah. I think I would like him more if they framed it as being genuinely bad and they actually pressed it more. Um, also, you can probably make a bad guy likable by giving him a puppy. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the puppy well. Yeah, like, oh no, like rape and pillage, that's fine. Don't you dare hurt my dog. <laughs> and then people will care about that puppy. 
Those yeah. are other characters you could always bring in with like, you know, animals and stuff. Yeah. I didn't get that vibe with Voldemort and his snake. <laughs> but no one likes right. snakes, but everyone likes puppies. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah, make it fluffy. You know, it's got to be soft and fluffy. <laughs> well, it was, I mean, you'll, you see it all the time in the news, like, 20 people die, no one will care. But the puppies. The puppy, yeah. like, in the massacre, a puppy will get hurt, and that, that's what people will care about, is that puppy. Yep. There was a barn fire in Massachusetts recently where, like, 7,000 baby turkeys died. And I was mm. like, wow. It was, like, right after Orlando, and I'm like... Which one do I feel worse about? <laughs> yeah, uh, I remember the Aurora shooting, and there was a picture of a, a dog laying right next to his dead owner, and people were crying over that one picture more than anything else. It's just, okay, that, yeah, that frames what humans care about. It's like, like, we care about our dogs. So, and then if you want to torture the readers, obviously kill the dog. If Butcher kills Mouse. Oh, I don't think that's happening. <laughs> There will or be riots. <laughs> I, I don't think so at this point. I think he can't handle the amount of hate that would come on him for that. Oh, he doesn't right, care. Um, He's got monies. We're still going to read his books no matter what. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, let's see. So if you give um, characters bad traits and you want them to be kind of like broken, despicable people because of it, if you give them a sob story, it probably will frame it better. And people will like it or at least mm -hmm. understand it and relate to him in that way. The uh, best example is probably Guts from Berserk. I'm not spoiling anything about that one. Everyone needs to read that one blind. <laughs> but. I mean, the very beginning of Broken Empire, so it's not exactly a spoiler because I think it's like the first or second scene, is the main character at like 10 falling into a vicious thorn bush almost dying, and watching his guard, mother, and brother be murdered in front of him by his uncle. Yeah. And that's pretty much what drives him for most of the book. Okay, so how about the idea of multiple characters creating a single person? Because you'll see a lot, especially with like, like Sword of Lord of the Rings or a lot of uh, sitcoms where you'll have three or four friends and they all are more singular um, personalities that end up creating an entire person in the aggregate. Uh, you, you, like I said, you see a lot in sitcoms where this one person is always the womanizer, this one person is always the flirt, this one person's always the neat freak, and da-da-da-da. And so if you look at it as a whole, that's a pretty complex person, but when you look at the individual people, they're not, they're pretty like one dimensional, two dimensional kind of people instead of a, a full character. Put another enough one or two dimensional characters together and you might have a three dimensional character? Yeah, I mean, you kind of see it in, I would say Lord of the Rings is probably a good example of, you know, every, everyone's really got their own real strong character trait, and that's really all they are. I mean, yeah. Frodo is just kind of Frodo, I mean, he's kind of boring. Most of the characters in the ring. Perseverance, to an extent. Right. Uh, Sam's your moral compass. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the what people are humor in a dark world. Yeah. Um, what people usually say is their main, their favorite character out of Lord of the Rings is either Sam or Gollum, because they have complexity and they're good people. And well, they're sort of like Gollum. 
eh. Smeagol sort of, but Gollum not so much. And then, But Sam, he's the good guy. He's the good friend that everyone wants. And so that's why those two rank up highest, I think. I like Merry and Pippin. They're pretty funny. They bring humor to an otherwise dark world. Hmm. I so, love the friendship between uh, Gimli and Legolas, at least in the movies. I never read the books. <laughs> it's like, they're funny. Uh, yeah, let's just glad, you know, he did the, the original Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, well, the movies, before they decided they could break books into multiple movies. <laughs> It would have been like one book spread over three movies. I don't think a so. A two hundred something page children's book. Yeah. Yeah. God damn. More mi- um, more minutes than I never pages. Saw the movies. Was it seriously more minutes than pages? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh yeah. The first movie was more minutes the entire had more minutes in it the entire length of the Hobbit. And then they had a shoehorned romance in there that was dumb as shit. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so that's all the things I had thought of about um, real characters, but I wanted to ask you guys about the kind of controversies of um, diversity in characters. Like, do you feel pressured, or do you think people should feel pressured to show people of different um, ethnicities, or genders, or religions, and things like that? Uh, I mean, I try not to, but I definitely feel it sometimes. But I'm also debating on the idea of never, especially in Corlex, ever talking about race ever. Never giving a qualifier of white, black, whatever. Just never describing see. someone's complexion. Right. Hmm. Didn't Neil Gaiman do that with American Gods? I don't know. There's like, <laughs> I think there's like three passing references to the main character's skin color. And like, I, it's only clear enough at the very end of the book that, oh, he's black. I mean, never mentions it. I stopped reading that book the minute I realized the main character's name is Shadow Moon because that was just too much yeah. for me. Uh, I wasn't but a I, fan of the book. I but. always pictured him like Jason Momoa when I was reading it, and so like that was just what he was, and it doesn't bother me the fact that he was brown because I always pictured him that way anyway. <laughs> Which I'm they're really, making like series now, and the dude's black, so yeah. that's pretty cool. I'm now mm. really self-conscious about race because I'm reading Black Company, mm. and... Um, one of the wizards of the group is constantly referred to as the black guy, basically. And I know it's written in the 80s, and, like, no one in the books judges. Like, there's no explicit racism. He's more like a wonder to people because no one really sees black people where they are. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he's this wizened little black man from the swamps way down south. And it's like, you're not making a big deal out of his race, but at the same time, you're kind of... Highlighting it? Highlighting stereotypes, too. Yeah. I would also say race matters... Well, race, gender stuff matters more when you're doing stuff sort of present day. Because mm-hmm. if, if you're in a completely different universe, who's to say black, white, whatever matters? Yeah. You know. Like, when you're in a well, fantasy world, why is... Even the well, because everyone wants to shoehorn it into every issue, but yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. there there was a controversy of um, I think Mountain Blade was a a, a game taking place in uh, was it Czechoslovakia or was it Poland? It was one of the Eastern European places in like the 1400s, 
and people were complaining online that there's no black people. And the, the creator had to go online and say, there was no black people in this area at that time. The only thing I could do to realistically shoehorn them in is to make them slaves. And it's like, there's, like, it doesn't matter whether it was realistic or not. Asian Mongol invaders, too? Um... I don't know if it was in for the, that game. I don't remember the specifics. I just know that there was this controversy. Like, they're complaining that there's no black people when there literally was no black people yeah. at the time. He's recreating. And I'm imagining people complaining no black people and then there's Asian barbarians running around. <laughs> which yeah. would be completely historically accurate. Right. Yeah. Um, there's also, like, why are there no women in the army, in this historical army type of story? It's like, because there were no women in the army. Jesus Christ. And... Um, I think I feel the the uh, gender stuff more than the race stuff, especially when it comes to violence. Like, yeah. It's like, because I definitely, you know, because the bad guy in the first Corlex book is is a female, and she's trying to kill Corlex, and Corlex shoots her in the shoulders multiple times. And it's like, part of me felt bad about that. I'm like, some, <laughs> some, some feminist is going to crucify me for this, even though he was getting shot at. <laughs> yeah, there's, um, uh, I hope they're just the small vocal minority that, that's like, you cannot not include a person of color or uh, some other gendered person, but also you don't care, dare to give them flaws, because then you're per portraying them negatively. You know, giving them depths of characters that's negative, and then they're also going to be pissed off about that. Um, I, I really hope that's just a small minority that I see a lot about instead of people actually thinking that because it's just irrational. Same time, if you're self-conscious about it, try not to make those flaws like standard stereotypes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. Just... Uh, what was I going to say? I was just asking thinking, was... for trouble. <laughs> I was going to say I was kind of surprised for Sanderson that he, I mean, I think he handled Vin pretty well as a female protagonist for, no offense to Sanderson, I wouldn't expect him to, especially for his early works. Yeah. Have, he said that, too, that a lot of the women in his books were just the romance interest, and then originally Vin was going to be a male character, and he switched it because he wanted to do it, so. It worked. Yeah, it worked fine. Yeah. Um, so you don't have it, to write just what you know. Yeah, but then there's, like, people get angry that uh, the people of their chosen demographic aren't being shown in published works, so more people should feel pressured to write about those published works, or that just, the authors published are just white guys, and say, well, that's not entirely true. And mm, there's lots of pressure and contrast. Yes. That's that's kind of how I feel about it sometimes. I try not to be that way because it's just a dick thing to do. But you know what? I'm the one spending all these hours, you know, beating my head against the wall. You do it too, then we'll talk. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's a, a thing I feel conscious about because one of the stories I've been trying to work on right now is, well, it's very isolated. There's one group of people basically it's a, a society. They've had enough time to become a city, at least. But they were taken from one isolated section of the world. There's no reason for there to be other races there. Am I going to get crucified for that? I don't know. And it, it, just, it bothers me that I have to worry about it. Someone's always going to hate you. Yeah. It's just how it is. Someone's always going to hate you. No matter how good you are, someone's going to hate you. You just got to let them go. I mean, 
You definitely want to listen to some of the criticisms because they might be right. You might be a you know bigoted asshole. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. But she's just a psychotic. <laughs> I am equally psychotic for all genders and races. Exactly. But for the most part, you know, you gotta take the go with the bad and just keep on moving. It's very much like write your own story, and um, I, I feel like it's cheapened when it gets shoehorned in there. Yeah. When so. someone tells you you don't have this in there, you're dumb, they're wrong. But when they tell you yeah. this, what you did here is bad, maybe listen to them a little more. Yeah, I, I do have to say, I fall into that camp a little bit of um, reading, trying to read uh, The Blade Itself by Joe Abercrombie, I think. Yeah. There's only one female character. And it was getting kind of weird that she didn't show up until like a fourth of the way through the book. And then I also felt that she was kind of the, the predictable, proactive, awesome, badass girl. Is that the one with Inspector Glockta, whatever his name is? Yes. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. I did with the blade itself. Yeah, he's interesting, but, like, Artie is kind of like, okay, what are you doing with this? Like, I kind of felt that she was predictable as well as the only one. As I felt like, you, you yeah. can make more women than that one. Especially in his society, that it made sense. Yeah, like I need more women in Carlin's story. Very, very yeah. much so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you do. <laughs> you only have you have one I have and one. maybe like a half. There's a half? <laughs> Mary. Who? Oh Mary. right. Yeah. She's only in there for the plot. Yeah, and then she shows up to die. So yes, she doesn't matter. And if we've learned anything from Game of Thrones is that boob cell, so you know. She's like Well, oh. yeah. I thought she was like eight. Eight, nine, but... something around there. Yeah. In Game of Thrones world that's Fair game for yeah. all the awful characters. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone um, felt very awkward. <laughs> oh, George R. R. Martin. <laughs> Alright. Uh, I think I think that's everything I've got right now for characters. We'll probably come back to it later. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and we're just hitting our hour mark, so we're doing pretty good. Alright, so let's let's plug all the stuff. I forgot things before, so help me. <laughs> got the Justin Files podcast that it's all about me. Not really, but yeah, and and, uh, and we've got the Your Great Scott and yes, Forty Two. Great Scott is about The Office. Uh, where biweekly we will be covering season two episodes five, six, seven, and eight next time. So come on out if you like The Office. We have 42 Podcasts, which we'll be recording tomorrow, which is a sort of a general topic, whatever we feel like podcast. It's more Please nerdy than not. tomorrow. I want to listen to oh. that. Get It'll political. Be, well, you, you've seen our Slack. I mean, you've seen the play. Yeah. <laughs> it's low-hanging uh, fruit right now. See, see, what else do we have? Um, oh, the, the Dangerous to Go Alone, which I'm not even sure what they're talking about. That's a nerd culture podcast, so I'm sure that'll be... It's got to be a San Diego Comic-Con wrap-up. has to be. Oh, yeah. If you ever get I'm a chance just... to go to San Diego, gotta go. got to go to Comic-Con. It's the happiest place on Earth. <laughs> and I've been to Disney World, so I can say that. And then there's uh, Shylock's. Alex will yell at us if we forget him. Shylock's gaming if you want nerd stuff. Also, uh, we are now being sponsored by Tiny Build. So if you want free video games, please email us and we will give you free video games. Yeah. 
Uh, is there anything else? Is that it? Uh, I think that's it. That's okay. All I can, yeah. Any more podcasts, and we need like a checklist on the side. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> or just um, we just record the outro at that point. <laughs> we, we can do that. We don't do any pre-production work. What are you talking about? <laughs> Well, y'all all have a good night. Uh, see yeah. you in two weeks yeah. now that we're back on our normal cadence, I think. Yeah. Good. All right. All right. Have fun, everyone. Bye. Bye.